Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Before we get the podcast started, I wanted to jump in here real quick with some news that broke after we finished recording. On Sunday evening, J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington reported that Commander's rookie running back Brian Robinson had been shot multiple times in an attempted robbery. It was later revealed that this was a carjacking. Robinson's injuries are thankfully believed to be non-life-threatening, according to a variety of sources. Obviously, this is just a scary situation and horrible news for Brian Robinson, the man, as he was set to begin a life-changing chapter at the dawn of his rookie season. We send our thoughts and wishes for quick healing and a full recovery to Robinson, as well as the second victim who is reported to be involved in this situation. That's all we have for now. We'll keep you posted on any updates to this story as we get them. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. It's Monday, August 29th. Oh, man, it, it's a big week for the podcast. I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, can't quite get into full details about it just yet, but it's a big week for the show. And I will say this. I'm 100% done with preseason football. I'm ready for the regular season action to begin. But today, we do have to start off this big week tying a bow on the preseason, giving you our takeaways from week three of the preseason action. And joining me to do it, as always here on the Sunday recap, is Scott Pianowski. Scott, what's going on, buddy? How's it going? Uh, it's going well. I'm glad the preseason's over. Really looking forward to the regular season. I'm, you know, I'm sick of arguing with people about strategy and about branding <laughs> and about flag planting. And I like this player three months ago. Where were you? You know, let's let's get this thing going, man. Let's let's get the real let's get these drafts on paper. Let's get these real games going and let's figure out who's good and who isn't. Yeah. Everybody that was sweating Traylon Burks was taking a victory lap when he ran in uncovered on a on a slant route against backup. So, um, yeah, I'm ready for ready, ready for that type of stuff. To right. End. Or how about Cole Komet scoring against the Cleveland Browns defense that was clearly in their point shaving package because there was nobody within like 10 to 10 yards of Komet. I see the point. I see the the argument for Komet. I mean, Jimmy Graham's gone and, you know, he's going to get a lot of targets. His touchdown count last year was unrealistically low. Where do you come off on Burks, by the way? I, I don't know if we've talked about him. He's been polarizing, obviously a first-round talent, a lot of vacated targets, a team I don't like very yeah. much. Um, how, how are you treating him in draft season? 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, he, we got to see him a little bit uh, this weekend, and you know, he still seems like he's fourth on the wide receiver depth chart behind Robert Woods, behind Nick Westbrook-Akino, which, I mean, he'll he'll move up ahead of him at some point. Um, but Kyle Phillips, I I keep you know talking about, that's kind of the biggest takeaway from me here is that Kyle Phillips is, like, going to be a part of this team, and I really can't see how, like, a legit, you know, somewhat legit target earner. Do I think Kyle Phillips is going to go out there and get, like, 90 to 100 targets? Probably not, but I don't really see how – if Phillips is a big part of this team as like a layup slot receiver, and I, I think his game and Ryan Tannehill's game really makes a lot of sense. Um, I definitely think that they want a big presence like Burks. Obviously, they think that Burks is going to be the next A.J. Brown. I don't think Traylon Burks has that type of skill set, at least right now. He needs to do a lot of developing as a route runner. I thought he would be more of like a big slot receiver type Traylon Burks, but I don't really see how they're going to get him on the field in that in that type of alignment if Phillips is uh, is playing a role here. And, and I think the reality is that these guys, Robert Woods included, who I think is fine where he goes. I'm not like going out of my way to draft Robert Woods, but um, I don't see how these guys can afford a third, you know, quote, mouth to feed in this offense. And like you and I have said many times, Scott, I'm neither one of us is that jazzed on the Tennessee Titans offense this year. Yeah, I, I ranked them 31st in my power rankings for fantasy purposes. And I got a little pushback, but not a, not a ton of it. Is there a rookie receiver you're drafting into proactively in just a seasonal league? Yeah, I think Drake London, I'm still drafting for sure where he goes. I mean, do I go into a draft thinking like I got to draft Drake London? No, but it, if he's around in that range and he's, you know, coming up in, in my tiers, I totally like taking him. Um, I actually and this can transition us into the news uh, because we have a report from Ian Rapport that Saints left tackle Trevor Penning suffered what is believed to be a bad case of turf toe in the preseason finale against the Chargers, because I think Chris Olave is a guy that. I do want to draft proactively. I just love his game. Um, at the same time, you know, Scott, I, I watched this Saints offense go up and down the field on the Chargers kind of backup, you know, defense there. I, this offense looked pretty good. It's preseason. I know you're not that jazzed about the Saints. And I think this Trevor Penning injury is something to keep in mind because I love to draft Chris Olave. But one of the things that you like about Olave is that his vertical route running his explosiveness down the field does mesh really well with Jameis where we have questions about you know Jarvis Landry who looked pretty good in the preseason how does he fit in with Jameis what does he have left obviously Michael Thomas how does his game blend with Jameis Winston but yeah Chris Olave is the one rookie receiver that I do want to draft proactively and kind of the one guy on the Saints that I, I go into every draft thinking he's in a range where I really like taking him Michael Thomas too but you know not as not as valuable like I think later on down the draft board you can get Chris Olave so that's kind of um that's kind of the rookie one rookie receiver that I really like to draft this year yeah Olave for me too um I would have been in on Pickens before the the hype get kind of out of control I do think Pickens is going to be a great player someday. I just don't want to bet on that being 2022. I would think Olave is probably the saint I'll probably have the most of when draft season is over, but that's only because I'm such hard fading Kamara and, and I'm hard fading Michael Thomas and I, I really don't trust Winston. And I'm getting a lot of pushback on that. My life is going to be mm. miserable if the Saints win the division and Jameis Winston is like in the MVP hunt or you know, there's a Pro Bowl season for Thomas or Kamara. I'm going to feel it. But that's that's OK. I mean, it's good that we disagree on this stuff. That's what the game is predicated on. Right. But I do think this Trevor Penning injury is a big deal for the Saints. Like I thought about you immediately as I was watching this first team offense look really good. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, I know Scott's like hard fading, fading on the Saints. As you mentioned, it's going to it's not going to be great if these guys are good. But the offensive line is one of the things we've talked about before, that there's some volatility to this unit. You know, they're obviously 
trading out Teron Armstead, who's been injury prone, but been really good when he's been in there. And Trevor Penning is kind of a developmental guy who plays really aggressively. You know, he's like gotten kicked out of practice for fighting uh, this offseason. But, you know, they need him to come in and hit the ground running. You know, otherwise they're going to be looking at like James Hurst or something like that as their starting left tackle. And that can bring down the entire infrastructure of the offense, I think. Well said. Well said. Again, let's bring on the real games, man. Um, I, they did look sharp, and I admit I I felt some pangs seeing them, as you said, matriculating the ball up and down the field. But against the backup defense, we'll we'll see what happens on um, you know second week of September. Well, the real games aren't starting, but we do know who's going to be starting the first real game for the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith has been officially named the week one starter. I mean, if it was, if there was any question left and frankly, I, I think it was going to be Gino <laughs> drew, drew lock kind of slammed the door shut on himself when he threw three interceptions against the Cowboys. I mean, my God, he just went out in the most like drew lock fashion possible. Um, Pete Carroll, like, like you said, he still thinks they've got two number one quarterbacks. That's hilarious. Um, I think both these guys play at different points of the year, but we are going to get Gino to start the season. And I think you pro- that's probably what you wanted if for whatever reason you were proactively drafting DK Metcalf or, you know, taking the value on Tyler Lockett. For sure. You know, Metcalf actually had reasonable production with Smith last year. And it's it's the devil, you know, it's the guy, it's the continuity play. It's the guy who's already been in the building. And, and I love uh, our friend Ian Hartitz who had, I thought the, the tweet of the preseason, I have to clean it up a little bit, but he says, you know, Drew Locke just says F it before every throw, <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah. that's exactly that. I, I can't, when you see a tweet like that, you just wish you had thought of it, you know, it perfectly yeah. and succinctly sums up the Drew Locke experience. Although I, I give you also a medalist honors for, for talking about him slamming the car door on himself, which is fantastic. <laughs> and I love also that Pete Carroll, we live at a time where when they, when the coaches go to the presser, it's always like, Oh, you know, everybody, competed we get a look at the film i'll come back to you in a couple of days he, he just said after the game yeah uh gino's our starter <laughs> i mean yeah, he had right. nothing left to hide behind you know okay the the, the verdict is in we're not going to sleep on it we're not going to think about it we don't need two hours to deliberate it's gino but maybe can we talk ourselves into dk metcalf because again they had some moments if gino riffed with anybody last year i know Lockett had one monster game against jacksonville kind of invisible in the other gino games can we squint and say oh maybe this is good for dk metcalf well, I think the good thing about both the Seattle Seahawks receivers is that the target tree remains super narrow here. I mean, even Noah Fant, who they I don't want to say they traded for. He was basically part of like, the, as was Drew Locke, part of the bring back to send Russell Wilson to Denver. Not really consequential pieces there. You know, he's been playing behind or like sharing tight end snaps with freaking Will Disley this preseason. Like, I don't think that he's going to be a major target earner here. So they love Will Disley, man. They, they love, love themselves some Will Disley. They, they want to, you know, I know Julio Rodriguez signed the like lifetime extension with the Mariners. I'm surprised the Seahawks haven't done that with Will Disley because they really want to. I mean, man, pretty close. Like they, they signed him to a pretty big deal to bring him back there, which was crazy because he's coming off of you know pretty decent injury here too. So yeah, I think look, there have been some times where Metcalf has fallen into like the Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore zone of the draft. And, you know, obviously I want to draft those guys, Elijah Moore, yeah. and Rashad second Bateman. Second year, second year receivers. That's your brand right there. A hundred percent. But when Metcalf gets in there, I'm like, look, there are some times where you get, you got to take the plunge there with Metcalf at this point. And, and Lockett, I maintain, goes way, way, way too late. I mean, every single draft I'm in, he's around like round nine, 10, 11 sometimes. If it's a super, honestly, like the more 
analyst heavy uh, or writer heavy a league is, the farther Lockett falls, which I think is yes. kind of crazy. So um, I, I, I still maintain that these guys are falling too far, but just because of how narrow the target tree is there. That's a great point that, you know, there are certain biases that your league has. We, we talk about a lot, not just us, but in, in the Twitter discussions, you know, how do you beat your home league? What is the bias to your home league? And, and home league is just shorthand for a league of a little bit less sophistication, a league where people might be drafting out of a magazine or people might just be trying to collect some information right, you know, right before the, the day of the draft. They haven't been grinding every news item or, or every tweet or, or even the preseason action. But what are the biases if you play in a quote unquote sharper league, a quote unquote industry league, a quote unquote, you know, high stakes league, what are their biases? And you're right, a guy like Tyler Lockett can become yesterday's news. And in a league like that, you know, where I'm maybe gonna take the buy the dip on Lockett or just take him when the rest of the room doesn't want him. Or I might go into a player for me that's become like in the hipster rooms, I'm not taking Trey Lance because somebody in my room wants to run in and plant a flag and and beat his chest on Trey Lance. That person is probably named Dalton Del Don, but there's other people <laughs> like him. And look, I, I get it. I mean, look, Lamar Jackson exploded year two. Patrick Mahomes exploded year two. Those guys had some experience. You, you know, they played a lot in college. You know, Jackson won a Heisman Trophy. Mahomes had a couple of pinball years with uh, with Kingsbury doing that thing. I mean, Trey Lance, the last four years, has thrown fewer than 400 passes. He's still a guy on spec. I get it. He's talented. He went third in the draft. Shanahan handpicked him. Shanahan's a great coach. They have unbelievable skill talent around him. And of course, the Konami code. He's going to run a lot. He doesn't necessarily even need to be a great passer to be a great fantasy player. We saw that with Jalen Hurts last year. Mediocre passer. He averaged a touchdown a game for crying out loud through the air, but he ran so much. He still was a really good fantasy player. But so, so in a home league, I get it. Like Trey Lance is probably, you know, Davis Maddock was saying today, well, you, you can take Trey Lance and even if he stinks, you know, the fallback is so cushy that it doesn't even matter. And I, I think that's true in a quote unquote home league. In a, in a quote unquote hipster league, analyst league, we know what we're doing league. I think Trey Lance is likely to be overpriced. Yeah, that's a great point. There's the differences. I think um, Dwayne McFarland from PFF actually had a pretty good thread this weekend about like the difference in, you know, kind of the, you know, casual league type of, I think it was, I think he's like fantasy pros consensus ADP versus sure. like a uh, high stakes league ADP. And I think it's that is thread. really, yeah, really interesting stuff. Just how, um, especially because people that are playing in high stakes leagues or, you know, a bunch of writers, stuff like that, they've been hearing these same narratives just beat in their head over and over again. You know, meanwhile, um, I've said some of my buddies who play like casually, they're like, Oh, I didn't even realize this guy's on this team, you know, at this point. So uh, that's because con congrats to them. They have real lives. Um, I wanted to run this by you, Scott uh, pro football talks. Mike Florio reports that quote rumors are making the rounds that Raiders tight end Darren Waller will be hiring Drew Rosenhaus as his new agent. I wanted to bring this up because on the last episode with Frank, we talked about Darren Waller as a little concerning that he, had missed time with an injury through a lot of training camp. I'm also now kind of thinking of it, it's like a little bit of a hold in type of situation. Like he clearly wants a new contract. And when you look at his contract, he absolutely deserves it. Like he's been a really good player and he's extremely underpaid. But at the same time, it's interesting that this new Raiders staff hasn't run out and like given him a new deal while he also might be banged up. Is Darren Waller a green light, yellow light, red light pick for you as kind of, in my opinion, like the last of the, elite potential elite tight ends on the draft boards this year yeah i'm probably not taking him where he goes I, i'd rather just go to the next tier and maybe take a dalton schultz or take a dallas goddard or somebody like that i'm just concerned that even though i don't think the raiders have a very wide tree 
And I think they're going to have a lot of trouble actually running the ball with that offensive line. I still think Waller might be third in targets. Adams is going to soak up targets off the bus. And I think Hunter Renfro, Hunter Renfro is a guy who a lot of people don't respect that much. I think he's a really good player and he fits what Derek Carr likes to do, what Josh McDaniels likes to do. So Waller is certainly not going to be mothballed, but I think it's going to be a lot of games where he's the third option. Plus he's getting to an age where I get nervous about a pass catcher and he's got the injury concerns, although he's playing softball though. So, um, you know, you can pick him up you can keep him in your, in your softball dynasty leagues, <laughs> I guess, but I, I like the value. I think there are guys who could be Waller equivalents who go a tier later. I'm more likely to dip into that market. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the, the third guy here. Wouldn't be surprised if he has a big season. I feel like the range of outcomes are really wide. And he's a guy that I bet in you know these high stakes leagues, I, I would imagine that his ADP is slightly lower than in you know typical redraft leagues. Where, although he is coming off an injury kind of messed up season last year where he had that one monster week one game where he got like 19 targets or something and then never saw that type of usage again. So I don't know. He's, an, he's definitely going to be an interesting guy. Who are, your of, most, who are your most drafted tight ends, would you say? Do you have them off the top of your head? Probably Dawson Knox. I think I think it's Dawson okay. Knox because I think he is the he goes as the last guy before I think it really drops off. Uh, because I think it I think things drop off for for me it's tight end nine and that's I actually have Dawson Knox at eight and T.J. Hawkinson at nine because I think the the ceiling on Knox is a little bit higher just from a touchdown perspective, um, just from an overall offensive perspective. So for me. I typically end up someone takes Hawkinson ahead of Knox and then I take Knox as the last guy before it falls off to like tight end 10. I've got David and Joku 11, like Zach Ertz. Um, I'm in Joku. We've talked about him as a guy that I'm higher than consensus on. He's played a ton in the preseason, like 80% of the dropbacks with the first team offense. Uh, man, I, I think he's, he's got a decent shot too. If I don't get one of those top nine tight ends, but yeah, for me, I think it's, it's ended up being Dawson Knox. What about you? Now, I like the way you've tied it to Hawkinson too, where you know the Hawkinson pick signals that it's getting close to your t- to go time for Knox. It's it's nice when you can tie two players together, so you know how to read. That's how you read the market, right? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, I won't talk too much about him now because we're doing the Cowboys later. But I actually have a lot of Schultz, and we'll talk about Ooh, him okay. a little bit later. You know, I do like Njoku in in any any league that has tight end premium scoring or something like that. He'd be somebody I'd be proactive about. I just wish they had a little bit more a quarterback. Yeah, I, I just my yeah. ex- expectations for Brissett are so low. But yeah. then again, their wide receiver room is Amari Cooper and a bunch of ordinary guys. I, I realize Don, Donovan Peoples Jones will make a big play every three or four games, but yeah. I don't. I don't like their wide receivers. I'm really down on Cooper too. So I, I, I've lost money on Njoku in the past. So I, I want to be transparent about that. But I still want to draft him semi proactively. He's kind of like a yellow plus for me. Uh, I do have a lot of Schultz too. I'm trying to think who else I have. I'm not taking any of the of the vanity guys, although I'm really worried that I'm going to regret not taking Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I I feel kind of the same way about Kyle Pitts, but uh, we shall see. A couple injury things to wrap up with here before we kind of go into a few more preseason nugs. Tom Montgomery suffers an ankle injury. Not sure about the severity. I know there's you talk about like a hipster guy or whatever. It's like, well, Tom Montgomery might mix into this uh, Patriots backfield or whatever, but kind of sounds like Damian Harris who – that's a guy that just falls and falls and falls in any sort of like an analyst league or whatever. Um, I was in a draft on Friday night and he went behind Ramondre Stevenson, which I still feel like is not correct. But um, I, and I, I mean, I have those guys like a tier apart for me and I like taking Ramondre Stevenson, but I'm taking Damian Harris ahead of him pretty much every single time um, still to this point. He yeah, I think he went like outside the top thirty running back. So I took Damian Harris there as kind of my RB two at that point because I was I was more wide receiver heavy and tight end heavy, quarterback heavy stuff like that. 
So keep an eye on the Ty Montgomery thing. Uh, also, Jacoby Myers sounds like he's solidified as the number two. Well, maybe number one receiver for Mac Jones. Jacoby Myers, man, I, I, th- I think I said it on a couple episodes ago. He's like fantasy cockroach. He just survives everybody else they bring in to that wide receiver room. But he did suffer, uh, was seen on like the the exercise bike on the uh, on the sidelines. So keep an eye on his injury status too. And then Tyrod Taylor, just this morning during the uh, Jets-Giants preseason game, was carted off with a back injury. And I feel like Tyrod's getting some playing time. Uh, this year for the New York Giants. So keep an eye on all those. Any any reaction to any of those three players? Not not like big news, but you know, we'll see what the status of all of them are. Yeah, you know, I like your take on Harris. You know, the idea again, the smarter your room is, the the more people it's not just that they don't want to draft him. They feel like drafting him is some admission of of a frail human frailty. You know, it's 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 like this organized collusion that we're not going to be the sucker on Damian Harris. So you're going to yeah. get a ridiculous discount if you're with a bunch of other smart people where in the more commonly, it's going to be like, Oh, wait a minute. He scored how many touchdowns last year? He's yeah. on the Patriots who live in the red zone. Generally it's a, it's a boring offense though, that I've tried to avoid. I, I see the case for Myers because you would think he would normalize to maybe five or six touchdowns. His touchdown rate has been so low, but Mac Jones is, if he's if he's above league average, it's it's really really slight. I think this team is going to have trouble getting off the ground. The, the time to play the Patriots is early in the season. I think eventually Belichick's such a good coach, he'll figure it out, and some combination of Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, I guess, will figure it out. Although it's really hard to to trust those guys. But uh, the Patriots are one of my least appealing fantasy destinations in draft season. All right, a few other preseason takeaways here. I mean, I think we can touch on Damian Pierce. Really quickly talk about a guy that's going to have, you know, a gigantic uh, gap between where he goes in casual leagues and people that are paying attention. I was <laughs> I was uh, advising a, a buddy in, you know, a draft recently and, and I, you know, he was saying Damian Pierce is ranked like 130 overall on this platform's uh, site. Should I really be taking him here in like the eighth round, seventh, like the eighth round range? Like, yes, you need to just go ahead and take him there. And then I was in a draft on Friday with some quote, you know, sharper folks, and he went in the freaking fifth round. So there's going to be a big gap there. What is the right answer in terms of Damian Pierce, who finishes preseason with 6.2 yards per carry? And um, Marlon Mack's roster spot looks somewhat questionable right now, just because he played a deep into the preseason game against the 49ers. If you're in a casual league, target round eight, maybe round seven, if it seems to fit your roster build. If you're in a quote-unquote sharper league, round six looks good. And as I said to Frank Schwab, who took Pierce recently in the fifth round, I said, well, he's like kind of like a break glass in emergency fifth-round pick. So again, uh, I'll sign off on fifth-round pick in case of emergency, hipster league, otherwise round six, and backdate that to seven and eight if you're in more casual league. Yeah, I feel like that's the right answer. So uh, just, I mean, look, he probably projects for 200, 220 touches this year. And and we'll see if he can wrestle passing down work away from Rex Burkhead. You know, and Rex Burkhead doesn't really move the needle at this point, but he can probably get the job done or whatever. So if he could take that, if he could take those duties away from Rex, I think then we're cooking as like a potential high end RB2. And their line, I think, is going to be at least adequate, if not maybe even a plus. And I would say that Damian Pierce goes down as the biggest winner of the summer. He's the guy who, if all you've done is you bought a magazine on your June or July vacation and you've basically taken the last six weeks off and now you're tuning into us into this big, exciting week. I'm not even sure what your surprise is. I can't wait to hear about that. I'm going to have to ask you after we finish taping. But this is the guy who moved the most. This is the guy who's misranked from that magazine who you need to adjust the most. Yeah, man. Uh, It's exciting. Uh, I I think that... (sighs) 
listen, by the way, shout out to you folks. If you out, if you're out there enjoying your vacation, that's good for you. Uh, you <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. The biggest takeaway is that Damian Pierce is now like the guy to draft um, in those in those mid rounds. Moving on to the next one here. Tom Brady completed six of eight passes for 44 yards in Saturday's preseason finale against the Colts. He also touched on his 11 day absence. Scott, last night we had uh, in town the El Segundo Art Walk, which is an awesome event down here every single every single year. Basically, you're just like going around to all the local businesses and um, you know having a, having a few beers along the way, purchasing some local art. Uh, one of the last stops we took was at the great spot uh, near where we live, Richmond Bar and Grill. And so, you know, I had had a couple had a couple drinks by then, and and they had the recap of this preseason game up. And I saw Tom Brady at the podium. I'm like, oh, I know what he was doing during those 11 days away. He was getting like some more lip filler in there. My God, the guy's face looks like he's definitely got some work done. So I'll just say that here. And I had enough uh, had enough drinks to say that out loud last night, but. Now I just said it out loud here, so I don't really know what I'm talking about at this point. But anyways, Tom Brady's back with the Bucs, um, and it seems like all is well. Russell Gage has yet to resume practicing. Julio Jones is catching some long passes. Leonard Fournette's like taking every single running back snap with the first-team offense. It feels like we're kind of back in business here with the Bucs. And if we were worried at all about Tom Brady's absence, he got his work done, and he's and he's back on the team now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm fine to draft Brady where he goes. I think Mike Evans, late second, early third, is perfectly fine. Lenny, Lenny I've been, you know, we've had a good time since he's been in Tampa Bay. He's in the Brady circle of trust. Oh, yeah. I think he's a very safe pick. And I think they'll figure out the offensive line. I realize there are concerns. There's been guys they lost, including Gronkowski, who's a very good blocker. But I think they'll figure it out. And I, I agree with you on Brady, by the way. Just looking at the podium, it's just a little bit uncomfortable for me. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you about the controversial Chris Godwin. People from from other fantasy sites have called out Yahoo for not having Chris Godwin <laughs> ranked highly enough. And I, I just told uh, some of you guys on a, a private email thread that I'm not going to let the Twitter mob change my opinion <laughs> of where to draft Chris Godwin. What say you, Matt Harmon? The woke Chris Godwin mob will not. Yes, it's coming for us. It's coming for Yahoo, man. It's coming for us. <laughs> well, they will not. They will not take down Scott Fianowski. Um, listen, I, I've had Chris Godwin kind of buried all, all off season, and I know he's going to play early right like I think he's gonna get out there and he's gonna play earlier than I expected probably two or three months ago but at the same time I don't really want to draft a guy that I kind of have to stash for the first three weeks we'll see like the 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 reality is with some of these guys JK Dobbins is another one that they could get past the initial roster cut and then put them on IR like that's that's possible and then they miss the first 3 weeks like Mike Davis playing every single first down and second down snap with the Ravens on the first drive like that might be a signal that that they're trying to ramp him up so you got to keep that in mind with Chris Godwin I don't know man I just always unless he falls and I actually really haven't been, and maybe I haven't done enough drafts on Yahoo where we've got him buried, allegedly. I haven't been in a draft where Chris Godwin goes in a range that I think the risk is priced in a little bit. He's probably somebody that I would like to, this is, may, might be crutch analysis, but he's somebody I would rather acquire like after the draft, like a few weeks into the regular season, rather than be the one to draft and stash him and sort of see what happens. Because... I loved drafting Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I, mean, I still like drafting Mike Evans, but I'm talking about back when they were the only two guys in town. It's not that way at all, especially with Russell Gage and Julio Jones looking pretty good uh, in this offense right now. And one of my big concepts is I think September is an underrated part of fantasy football. Just thought in the idea that all these ideas, oh, I'm going to, what, what's the playoff schedule? And I'm going to crush in December. And I want to be three and oh, I want to be four yeah. and one. I want to be somebody. 
I, I did a really brief thread on bye weeks on Twitter today. On, on we're taping on Sunday, and talked about how bye week season, um, week six, that's when trading season starts. That's when the the standings have a little bit of personality to them. It's like okay, we've got five games in the bank. Are you four and one? And can you go pick off players from panicky bye week managers? Or are you one of the teams that's one and four? And you have some really key guys who aren't playing in week six. And now maybe you have to think about trading out of that because you need to win right away. I want leverage and leverage comes from having a team that you can play early in the season. I was not one of the guys. And I, I realize it's really convenient for me to pick out Michael Thomas, but I was not one of the guys who said, Oh, draft Michael Thomas last year. And you'll have this you know, wide receiver one in the middle of the season. I, I just never looked at it that way. I realize this is apples and oranges with him and Godwin because maybe Godwin can't contribute early, but I think having you're going to have guys get hurt anyway. Injuries are going to find you. I don't like to draft into yeah. injuries unless I get a really nice discount. And some people will say, hey, wait, at Yahoo, you're getting that great Godwin discount. So I'll be open, try to be open-minded to that. But I'm not, I don't want to draft him where I would normally draft a wide receiver starter. I would only be comfortable drafting Godwin when he was ostensibly a bench player for me. And if that means I'm underweight or even out of the Godwin business this year, I can totally live with that. Yeah, I mean, just in my rankings, like I've got him. I mean, I do, I do definitely have him pretty buried for sure. But I don't want to be taking him in the same range where guys like Amon Ross, St. Brown, go Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Jerry Judy, Brandon Ayuk, Gabe Davis, Darnell Mooney, even Michael Thomas, who's at least going to roll out there in Week One. Like we're gonna, we think. I mean, he does have a hamstring injury, but you know, those guys were going to get the answer on real quickly. Now, uh, now I am looking at my ranks. I have, to, I have to say this. I have to jump in here and say this. One of the sites that was calling us out for God when being misranked, I believe their ADP has St. Brown like 40 or 50 slots below Godwin. I think that's absurd. Please take the sun God, especially if you're getting that kind of a discount, man. Yeah, I am sitting here looking at my rankings thinking Chris Godwin or Amari Cooper, like... I know the be- the best is probably at the end of the season for Amari Cooper. The best is probably at the end of the season for Chris Godwin. And I I don't know. I just I like Chris Godwin better as a player. So I, that is one I got to think. I got I, I got to think about that one. So uh, maybe I can get him from ninety fourth overall or whatever. We've got him to like ninety first. I don't know. So, but so how low was Godwin for you receiver wise? Thirty five, thirty, forty. Where is he? Initially, I had him thirty eight. Um, okay. I think he I think he's got to be. I think 33, 34 is kind of the range for him. Like, would you rather have uh, Adam Thielen or Chris Godwin? Thielen. Same. Yeah. And I've got Thielen 33. I've got Hunter Renfro 35, Tyler Lockett 36, like Christian Kirk 37. Minnesota, by the way, get get Vikings, man. I want you to have at least one Viking on your team. They had a coach who hated their quarterback. That coach is gone. They have a modern offensive guy who came from the womb of Sean McVay. And I realize that, look, Sean McVay 2.0 may just not be out there, but. The point is, that team, that kitchen need to be repainted and remodeled yeah. so badly, and they finally remodeled it. Justin Jefferson is one of the most talented guys in the league. Thielen is so good in space. Maybe this is the year Irv Smith is healthy if you want to take a, a flyer at tight end. You know, Cook's certainly a very easy guy to draft. I think they're a great bet to win the division, too. Um, they're Last I checked, plus 225, plus 230, something like that. I mean, Chicago's not going to be good. Detroit's a cute little team, but they're probably going to be 7-10 and 10 cute. <laughs> And I can talk myself at least out of the Packers. I know they have a good defense, but look at that wide receiver room. I, I think Minnesota is a great fantasy value and, and a great futures market value too. Even their win total, I thought was just nine and a half at last I checked. I feel very confident they'll get the double digit wins and they have a fairly manageable schedule. Most of it is actually the heavier games are early. You'll have to wait for the schedule to get a little bit softer. And as I said earlier, I mean, who knows with the Snow Globe League, maybe that those games will be more difficult, but I'm very proactive, very green light on the Vikings for 22. 
Yeah, me too. I, I love that take. I love Adam Thielen as a guy that, man, I've, I've gotten the discount on him a few times, and it feels really good, like outside the top 30 receivers. Unless he's completely cooked, I don't think he's completely cooked. You're you're probably getting a nice discount there um, with Adam Thielen in this offense. K.J. Osborne's a decent late-round pick. And just to bring it back to Chris Godwin, I mean, listen, everybody can have an opinion, whatever. It's fine. Um, I, I just think that I, I want to take those potential breakout guys ahead of a guy that has a lot of questions and i i love chris godwin i think he is one of he is definitely in the reception perception penthouse no question about it chris godwin like but i don't know that i want to be taking him this year let me take him in uh in 2023 pretty much is kind of my uh has been my analysis on him great player i just want to take some of those breakout bets a little bit ahead of him all right that was a lot of topics all at once so scott and i are going to take a quick break regroup ourselves and when we come back we'll talk a few young quarterbacks that perform pretty well over the weekend searching for nba playoff coverage we've got you the old man and the three presented by bmw gives you an inside look into the world of sports hosted by former nba sharpshooter and duke legend jj reddick and sports writer tommy alter the old man and the three offers unprecedented access to the league Tommy and JJ discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, Scott, Justin Fields, with the caveat that you said, like, preseason, the Browns, you know, might have been not playing um, their most in-depth coverage look, stuff like that. I will say Justin Fields, 14 of 16 for 156 yards, three touchdowns in the Bears preseason finale against those Cleveland Browns. The one thing I'll say that I was really encouraged by, not necessarily with just Fields himself, the line looked a little bit better. Like we said, you know, preseason defenses, whatever. And I really think they like they got him on the move, man. Like that was the type of offense I wanted to see Justin Fields playing in the preseason offense that we saw him in. That is encouraging for a guy that I, I think you have to have legit questions about coming out of his rookie year. Like I'm not closing the book on Justin Fields, anything like that, but there were a lot of rocky moments and it looks like in this offensive system, which we know Luke gets the play caller coming from green Bay, probably a better fit for him here in year two. Yeah, I've been talking a lot the last week or two about teams that finally have an adult in the room, and Jacksonville comes to mind really quickly. The Giants come to mind. But what if the Bears, even if just getting Matt Nagy out of there, what if that's a win, no matter how good the new coaching is? And and as you said, it was encouraging to see Fields on the move. And, and I, I know people will say, well, you, you roll out your quarterback, you're cutting the field in half. But you also get the defense kind of in hyperspace mode, and sometimes it leads the guys wide open. Fields is a very athletic kid. Yeah, And he's somebody who I, I don't think you can draft him to be your starting quarterback, but if you're in any kind of a format where everybody drops a backup or if you're in a league where you play multiple guys, he's to me, he's kind of like the arbitrage Trey Lance. I, I get it. He doesn't have uh, yeah. Debo Samuel. He doesn't have George Kittle. He doesn't have Kyle Shanahan, but he has the athletic profile. He has the draft pedigree. I can tell myself a story that maybe Fields, because of his running ability, will able be able to outkick what his – Otherwise, his fancy quarterback ranking would be, and end the season. You tell me the end of the season, he's like quarterback eleven, quarterback twelve, quarterback thirteen. I think it's perfectly reasonable in his range of outcomes. And I want to draft Mooney. I want to draft Komet. So I'm excited about this man. It was that was to me was easily the biggest takeaway 
from the from week three was that Justin Fields finally showed something, and I think maybe he's in an offense where he feels some comfort. Also, year two, common year for breakouts. Maybe he's just you know, he knows where everything is. He's been around the block once. I think it's a decent chance that even though the Bears won't be good, I think Justin Fields might be good in two, in 2022. Yeah, I agree with you. Really encouraging. Um, you know, we talked about Pete Carroll up at the top and how Pete's a pro. You know, like he went out there and was just like, uh, we don't need to look at the film. Like Geno Smith is the starter after Drew Locke throws three picks. Matt Nagy always up there after the game. Like, we got to find the why as, you know, to why we lost. I got a few guesses, Matt. Okay. Um, and I, I agree with you. Like getting an adult in the room here is is key because – Fields was just set up to fail in that offense last year. There's no doubt. Like when you watch it that like Fields too, you talk about him as an athletic guy. He is super athletic. He's also like a big game hunter. Like he wants to throw the ball down the field. And that was such like a slant curl flat route offense last year, man. I think you're going to make some big plays. They're not going to sustain drives. There's going to be some Rocky moments. I mean, Equinemius St. Brown looks like he's the locked in number two on this team. <laughs> not what you want to see from a wide receiver perspective, but Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney, um, you know, even David Montgomery, like dominated a first team snaps in this game against the Browns, which I've been pretty out and pretty harsh on David Montgomery. Um, the last few episodes that did at least make me raise an eyebrow that maybe he, you know, like Andy and I have said, he needs to, he needs to dominate first team snaps, David Montgomery to have fantasy value on this offense. But Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney, I definitely think are, are big winners. Komet did play less than 70% of Chicago's offensive snaps uh, for the first four drives in this game. That's worth noting, but I have moved Komet up my tight end rankings of late as well. Yep. Draft Cole Komet. I'm going to leave it as simple as that. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, this next one here. Tua completes six of seven passes for 120 yards and a touchdown in Saturday's preseason finale against the Eagles. Hey, there's no guy. Like, let's just get the game started than Tua, you know, right for me. Um, He throws a a deep pass to Tyree Kill, you know, and it's just like the most picked apart pass of all time. Any any Tua deep pass is going to like... The two anon uh, crowd is going to be all in on on uh, everything he does that that looks pretty good. The anti two of folks are are going to have their opinions. I just kind of I just kind of want to see how this plays out with uh, with Tua, but everybody seems pretty excited in Miami, and I I do think there is um, some upside here in the range of outcomes where this offense with Tyree Kill and if Tua takes another step. And Jalen Waddles, he's not been healthy this offseason, but he if he's out there playing well, where they look pretty good. I don't know. There is definitely a positive in the range of outcomes here for this team. You're so right about that deep pass to Hill where it's, it's like the, the two detractors are like, that should have been a touchdown. It was underthrown. What's he throwing a 50 yard curl route for? And then oh, the, the, the pro tour people are like, route. man, the pro tour people are like, you know, he's so unfairly criticized. Even when he, he makes a, a big play and you know, people are ripping it apart. Let's get the games going. And we talked earlier about the differences between, you know, industry hipster leagues whatever you want to call them in the more casual leagues i think a player who underscores that gap and sees in the taste what your league is like is chase edmonds where i think a lot of industry people love edmonds i think in the casual leagues you're going to steal him as maybe even a bench player and he may end up being like a a very solid starter for you where you have to kind of elbow people out of the way in industry leagues because he's become a destination for a lot of us you know he got paid he's better than the other guys they have they're going to prioritize him again. I'm going to give you a green light on Chase Edmonds, and as far as the passing game, just get me to get me to week one. Yeah, hundred percent. Chase Edmonds is a really good call out. Uh, like I said, I was just in a draft this weekend, and I tried to kick it down the can from you know he was there in the seventh round was Chase Edmonds, and I was like, 
I really want to take Rashad Bateman here. You know, I'm, I'm going to do it and I'm going to try to get one more round of a discount on Chase Edmonds and ended up having to go to Tony Pollard after someone took him like two picks ahead of me. Actually, I think it wasn't wrong with that. You, you, yeah. I mean, you had to get Bateman for a year, the year two and the, the narrow tree there and the way they're set up. I mean, it's at the point where they're hoping their third pass catcher in Baltimore might be, might be a backup tight end, right. Or a second tight end, a rookie second tight end at that, at that and uh, Isaiah likely. So uh, they have nothing after Bateman at wide receiver. So I don't blame you for, I mean, I say nothing, you know, Devin DuVernay and, and James Prochet. I mean, they should be third or fourth or fifth receivers on any regular team. The Ravens are obviously a knuckleball offense, but I would have told you, even feeling as Edmonds as I am and maybe not quite being as excited about Bateman as you are, I still would have said that Bateman's the right pick in that spot. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better because, yeah, I was kind of, I mean, I like Chase Edmonds a lot and I was bummed uh, to, and I was definitely stronger at wide receiver in that draft than running back, but I felt all right about taking Tony Pollard. As my do you RB3. find because of what reception perception is that, I mean, do you, are you more likely to draft proactively at receiver? Do you feel like receivers are the strength of your team? How does that affect your fantasy application? It's a great question because I think that I've heard folks say like, well, you should be able to just basically pass up wide receivers and like try to, you know, get discounts on guys you think are better than better than the market. Right. Like, um, you know, take take a few guys as a uh, late round flyers that, that might end up being starters or whatever. So maybe go running back heavy. But I do end up being wide receiver heavy in drafts for sure. Um, I also just think it, it totally depends on format. Right. Like uh, in this specific one that I was doing, you could take you can start three wide receivers, full PPR. Also had a lot of weird scoring things going on there. So not sure this is like the best um, application, but I do end up being more wide receiver um, heavy, not full on. Like I'm not a zero RB guy. Uh, I do want to have a, at least one really, really good running back. So yeah, I, I, I think that it, it kind of goes back and forth, but I typically, I look, I love wide receivers and I, I typically have to kind of like stop myself like set myself on the hand to be like stop taking so many wide receivers like you don't need any more of these guys i know you love this guy and this guy and this guy but enough already at some point you got to take chase edmonds you got to take tony pollard but i'm glad you're still getting some stake at the top of your draft that you're not closing yourself you're not saying well i feel so good about the ability to mine some of these guys in the middle of my draft or later in my draft you still see need some lead singers you still need some entrees you can't live on appetizers i mean and the reality too is scott that I, there have been guys like Tyler Lockett's a great example. I think, um, you know, Curtis Samuel, another example. And I think Brandon Ayuka is going to be one of those guys too, where sometimes the talent is there, but the situation is not. And that's why I don't want to be so like, Oh, I'm, I know I'm smart. Don't ever go into the draft being like, I know I'm smarter than everybody else. I mean, I think I got a good handle on wide receiver talent, but fantasy is still about projecting situations and opportunity and stuff like that. And chaos can always rule. So if I go into a draft saying like, yeah, I can live off appetizers at the wide receiver position because I'm that good at like being able to spot those values, I'm going to get banged a lot of times. So um, definitely go in with some humility and, you know, take uh, take Cooper Cup at, at pick seven when he's there, man, because, uh, you know, it, it, you, you can still get that good main uh, entree in on your diet and feel pretty good about it. You um, need some steak. You absolutely need some steak on your roster for sure. A hundred percent. Couple other minor notes here before we transition to the Cowboys. VCU's finest, Scott. I think it's I think it's happening with Mo Ali Cox. Ran a route on 75% of Matt Ryan's dropbacks. 
Um, this preseason took every snap with the first team offense in the most recent game. Another note here, KJ Hamler caught three of five targets for 18 yards in the Broncos preseason finale. Really good to see him out there. Lined up out wide 18 times compared to seven in the slot. I think they'd kind of need him as a speed slot receiver guy, but was, was good to see him in two receiver sets. And Albert O was among the Broncos who did not play in that game, which was good to see after the most recent preseason game before that he played deep into it and the coaching staff said he quote needed reps. So um, those are two tight ends. You asked me who I've been drafting a lot, like after the top eight guys, I like Albert. O, although I've been kind of banging him down the rankings a little bit. And I mean, Mo Ali Cox, man, I'm, I'm in the bag for Mo Ali Cox at this point too. Yeah, I am too. Although, you know, he's like a last round target for me, yes. or maybe even like a waiver pickup after you stash people on IR, that type of thing. I'm glad you brought up Alberto because three or four weeks ago, if it was like uh, who who outside the top twelve of the position could really significantly dramatically leap, Alberto would have been the first guy I mentioned. He's got this athletic profile. They got Russell Wilson, and then all the news flowed against him. Other than the Patrick injury, which would have helped him maybe just yeah. move up the target tree. But uh, and then we had to be concerned, you, you know, with teams changing how they handle preseason football now where a lot of it is based on who do you play with, who do you, who's not playing, who's not on the field. We don't have as much to actually sink our teeth into, but when they played Alberto so deep into that previous preseason game, I don't see how you could do anything but react to that and take him down a few slots, which I did. And so it's just funny that Alberto gets a little bit of a bounce back this week by not playing, right? It, it shows a little bit of a commitment <laughs> to him. And I still think Dolchich is like a long-term thing. I, I, I'd be surprised if he had a significant role in his first year. So What's the hash of this? Alberto's on my new rankings. It's going to be somewhere in like the tight end 16 to 19 range. He's a, you can see the upside for him. He's not a priority for me. If I don't get him, I can live with it. But at least I still, all the reasons I liked him a month ago, I think they're more in play now that the Broncos maybe seem to like him more than they did a week ago. I mean, again, we have to react to sometimes how they use guys, not just what they actually do for production. And that's been the case of Alberto. Yeah. I think just, that quote too from Nathaniel Hackett kind of got a little misinterpreted like that he needed reps. Sometimes you just want to see a guy out there actually playing close to real football. I mean, it's preseason, but it still makes sense that a new coaching staff would want to see him actually get some game action. Um, and you know, he's a like all these tight ends, younger guys are developmental guys in some respects. So it made sense that they wanted to get him out there. And I'm glad you brought up Greg Dulcich because there's been, you know, some, some folks on in the Twitter verse, like they're, they're big Greg Dulcich fans. And they take this Albert O news. It's like, Oh, this could be Dulcich. Dulcich hasn't played in any of the preseason games. Like he's had a long-term hamstring injury and like, they're kind of, hopeful that he's going to be out there for week one, but they're not even banking that Dulcich is going to play early on this year. So I agree with you more of a long-term bet. And um, I don't want to, like I never tanked Albert O in my rankings, but I'm comfortable. <laughs> Would you rather have Albert O or Cole Komet? I feel like it's Cole Komet at this point. It has to be Cole Komet. And before we close the door on the Broncos, I just want to just say out loud something that I changed my mind on or something I've kind of made more of a sharp point into I had Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy very close in ranking maybe a few weeks ago. I've now gotten to the point where I think Sutton is clearly a round or a round and a half preferred to, to Judy. I don't dislike Judy, but I'm expecting Sutton to be the lead singer in this passing game. Me too. I've got him a tier. Um, I, yeah, I do have him tier four, Cortland Sutton, tier five for Jerry Judy. Like I would be 
I still wouldn't be I'd be maybe 5% 10% shocked if Jerry Judy just ends up being better but I don't think you can project that way at this point because we've seen a peak season on Cortland Sutton's resume we haven't seen a peak season from Jerry Judy yet but I will say talk about a narrow target tree man like this has suddenly gone from a group where like they're hoping KJ Hamler can play a role we'll see what Albert O will do Tim Patrick is out of the mix here like there's a chance at least for the first month of the season before Hamler gets really ramped up before Albert O gets fully integrated that like Jerry Judy and um Cortland Sutton are kind of like a diet version of DK Metcalf and Tyra Lockett where these two guys are dominating the target tree I think that's actually like on the table now where I would have said there's no chance that would happen uh, prior to Tim Patrick injury and Sutton also, the injury, the major injury is far enough away in his rearview mirror that we can yes. think of it finally back to 100% Cortland Sutton, which I don't think we ever saw last year. No, oh, absolutely not. He was one of the most disappointing players for me last year, just like going back and charting him for RP. Just, And I think a lot of it was coming back from that injury. So I'm feeling pretty good about Cortland Sutton at this point. I, I totally, I, I will, yeah, I green light Cortland Sutton for sure. And I, I guess I'm yellow light on Jerry Judy where he just goes in a range where I just like some, I like a lot of the players there. We talked about them, their second year receivers, Ayuk, uh, Gabe Davis, all those guys. So Bateman. Um, yeah, Bateman, baby. Love Rashad Bateman. All right, let's talk Dallas Cowboys here. How about um, this team weird offseason man you know they they trade Amari Cooper which at the time I was like okay I totally understand it you're trying to get some salary uh relief he's an overrated player but they get a fifth round pick back for Amari Cooper and salary cap room that they're just kind of sitting on now and they totally misread the receiver market because it proceeded to explode after that like if they had held on to Amari Cooper, I think a little longer, they might've gotten a bit better of a return. Although I'm not a hundred percent convinced of that. You know, they lose Tyron Smith, man. And, and I think we can jump into the Cowboys preview with the Tyron Smith thing, because, you know, we, I think you said this about the saints offensive line recently. Like there's, there's not a ton of offensive lines that like really move the mark a ton in fantasy, but the Cowboys used to be a great line, and now um, our friend Brandon Thorne from Establish the Run said that they went from 6th to 20th in his rankings just because wow. they lost Tyron Smith. That is a pretty big deal, I think, when you're trying to trickle the effect down for this offense in fantasy. That's where it gets a little tougher. I did swap uh, Dak Prescott and Trey Lance on my quarterback rankings, but um, that was the only real change I made in the as a result of this. Yeah, I'm probably going to move Prescott down, too. You know, very quietly, the Cowboys led the NFL in scoring last year. And I realized that part of that was a defense that generated a lot of takeaways. Part of it was a really easy schedule. Of course, the Cowboys still managed to be a general disappointment. I mean, if you'd missed the whole NFL season, I told you, oh, the Cowboys led the league in scoring. You'd be like, oh, did CeeDee Lamb go bonkers? Well, not quite. Well, was it a great <laughs> yeah. Zeke year? Not exactly. Well, Dak win MVP or something? No, not even close, not even close to it. You know, can I interest He didn't even win comeback player of the year. And he was like ticketed for comeback player of the year. Right, last right. Year. But the Cowboys, they're they're a unique team because of the Jerry Jones experience. And what are they going to do with Zeke and Pollard? Do you, are you a Zeke sympathizer? He was hurt last year. He's, he's going to be fine. They're going to play to the contract. Or it's like, no, look at Pollard's efficiency. And how does that all shake down? I mean, man, talk about Thorne moving down the, uh, the Cowboys from number six to number 20 in offensive line rankings. That's significant. And because there's just no... When you lose your stud left tackle, it's not like, okay, well, let's just go to the stud left tackle store and, and get another one. You know, it doesn't right. work that way. There's no tree where they fall off, you know, and you just plug another guy in. And I was already out on Zeke. It just makes me more out on Zeke. The problem with Pollard is that I find myself in every room 
ready to get myself some Tony Pollard and somebody else wants him a little bit more than I do. And I'm not taking, like you talked about Evans and Pollard. I would always take Evans over Pollard because Evans is going to play, is going to be valuable right now where Pollard is a wait and see. I don't know if there's a way we know this receiver room is really thin after, after CD lamb. I think everybody loves, I certainly love him. I'm, I'm trying to get some CD lamb if I can, but I wonder if a lot of times people talk about, Justin Herzig always says established running. He's like, oh, when they, when they talk about the running backs playing at the same time or the running back getting used more in the past game, you throw that stuff out. It's right up there with best shape of his life. It's just a, a cute little puff piece for the summer. It doesn't mean anything. I look at Mike McCarthy, who was probably puffed up by Aaron Rodgers. And you know, he, he seems like a perfect Dallas coach where he's got enough name value that you can hire him, but he's got the right personality <laughs> to kind of do what Jerry wants. Yeah, a yes man. And, and, yeah, right. He's a yes man. That's a, well said. So ultimately, this is a team I can't be proactive. I'll be proactive on Lamb. I'll be proactive on Dalton Schultz because I think he's the clear number two target, but he's shielded by Lamb. Now, my friend Mike Salfino made the point that well, with the offensive line being in kind of disarray right now, maybe that means that Schultz needs to block more. Maybe it means a different tight end comes into play. I, I can see that point, but I still think at the end of the day, the second most targeted player on this team is going to be Schultz by a wide margin, and yet he'll never be the priority defense option off the bus. So I think Schultz is a, is a decent tight end in a pocket I'm willing to invest in. Uh, so green light on Lamb, green light on Schultz. Other than that, because Pollard's a little too pricey, because Zeke's in a point of his career arc, I'm really nervous, because Dak just lost his left tackle and I hate his receiver room after Lamb. These are a lot of guys I'm not going to draft. Yeah, the Tyron Smith injury, like last year, Terrence Steele was their swing tackle, but now he's the starting right tackle because they dumped Lyle Collins again a guy that I think they sort of like they wanted to save money on Lyle Collins who's not like Lyle Collins is not great like he's not one of the five best tackles in the league or something but he's a perfectly good and reasonable starter that they just got rid of for salary cap room and they're sitting on like 30 million dollars in salary cap room for nothing um I mean they got to pay a Zeke's contract we know that Jerry Jones out there on first take saying we go as Zeke goes which whatever jerry like he's gonna die on that hill man and it's it's so yeah you would think this has been so much stuff built in that the running game it's important but it doesn't drive an offense it doesn't matter who you have it doesn't matter if you have derrick henry or christian mccaffrey passing is so much more important now you want to run assault away games and you want to control the clock and it's good to have options on offense but until jerry jones and I guess this is never going to happen until he's willing to let somebody who knows more about football run the team. The Cowboys are always going to be this spectacle and this big stadium and these great helmets and this great branding and everything. And they're going to be the classic underachievers, man. They're going to be the, you know, the the person who they come to school and, and they're the smartest kid in the world, but they don't, they don't study. They don't do their homework. And, you know, they do great <laughs> in the SITs, but you know, they, they wind up going to like community college. Yeah, I mean, you, you're not wrong. That's kind of how the last few years has been for Dallas. I don't know, man. I, I do think what's interesting about this team this year for fantasy is they not only led the NFL in scoring last year, they th- have thrown the hell out of the ball the last two years. Like under Mike McCarthy, Kellen Moore calling plays, they have thrown the ball a lot. So for a guy like CeeDee Lamb, I, I think he's the one absolute green light pick for me. Like if you can get CeeDee Lamb in the early second round, do it. I, I think he is going to smash this year. I think he is that good. And, you know, him going into that um, vacated Amari Cooper flanker role is going to be great news for him. Um, and, and then you just look at Dalton Schultz is a good name to call out because 
this offensive line, if it's not pass protecting well, like he's going to get those bunny hop passes. He's not like a, a down the field tight end. He's kind of like a short area catch and fall type of guy, like sort of um, this generation Zach Ertz in a little bit uh, of way. The running backs, so, so you're kind of, it seems like you are, would you say yellow light or red light with, with both of these guys? Red on Zeke, yellow on Pollard, because I would still, if, if I could just get a little bit of the ADP I'm looking for in Pollard, I'd certainly take him. I think I'm I'm green light on, I think I'm yellow. Actually, I think I'm yellow on both guys. I'm not like going out of my way for both of them, but I do kind of buy into the narrative that Zeke was really injured last year. Um, now I, I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth because I've said like with Saquon Barkley, like how many times do we see a guy start to fade and then suddenly come back up? And and that's kind of the way Zeke has been trending. But I think most of that is like priced into his ADP at this point. So especially in, in sharper leagues, like he's, he's going to go in the fourth round. Like I'm, if you can get Zeke in the fourth, fifth round, you got to do it. And then Tony Pollard, I know that you're right to say, and Salfino said this about, um, the running backs don't coexist at the same time. Usually, however, I will say, like, they're going to need Tony Pollard to sort of play like an early career Austin Eckler role, right? Like, I, I think that, and you look at that, uh, one of those first seasons with them, I talked about this with Frank Schwab, like, Melvin Gordon had 1,300 yards from scrimmage, uh, Austin Eckler had nine yards from scrimmage, Melvin Gordon scored a ton of touchdowns. Like, in a best-case scenario, I think that's possible for these two running backs. Yeah, I think, I think it was actually Justin Herzig who made the point about the running backs. It was self oh, yeah, who was right, talking about right. the Dallas offensive line. I just want right, to right. clean that up, but... You know, the other thing with Pollard is that I'm I'm just not confident he can have standalone value if Zeke doesn't get hurt or Zeke isn't you know, uh, marginalized in some way. And I don't think they're ever going to do that. Zeke, the best case for drafting Zeke in my mind is that you know that the floor is there for touches. They're going to prioritize him there. But again, he just lost his left tackle. And this is the point I keep making for Alvin Kamara. This is the worst offensive line Zeke's ever run behind. That's, by, that's by a problem. Far. By far. Like a, yeah, by a country mile. By far. So, um, yeah, man, Zeke. And, and I understand you see him in the fourth round and it looks awfully tempting. I, you, you talked about Barkley having a couple of years off and off years and stuff like that. That goes back to my cheese theory that once the cheese goes bad on a player, which I would say like two bad years in a row and you know injuries and you get into an age pocket we worry about, that to me is like the cheese goes bad and you don't bet on the cheese going good again because it's so easy to look back with – the right kind of eye and say, oh, but this guy was so great for me. And Michael Thomas was the number one receiver for me. And I won my league because I drafted Zeke his rookie year. And I, I think windows in the NFL are very, very short. They're very small. They're very narrow. And I just go younger. Draft somebody younger. That's my advice to you. Fair. Um, I'd, I'd rather have like Javante Williams than Zeke this for year. Sure. That's for sure. For well, sure. it's like when I always, when I look at Javante and Melvin Gordon, and we know that, look, they're not going to kick Gordon to the curb and everything, but Williams is seven years younger at <laughs> running back. That's a gigantic age difference. We, we can't uh, we can't overlook that. I, and if you draft Williams, I only see two cases with Williams. I know this is a Cowboys preview, but I only see, Williams is an important guy to talk about, so let's just give it a second. I think Williams is either going to be very good and maybe a little bit underused, or he's going to be awesome and you're going to be so glad you had him. And I think either one of those is a win for you. Is you know, one of them you make a par, one of them you make a birdie. I'm totally and if I were, you know, Schwab and I are doing a couple of teams together and we're still figuring out who we like and who we don't like, and you know, like he likes Trey Lance more than me. I may ultimately just give on that because I like Frank and he's right a lot, awful lot, and maybe he just gets that right. But I think we're both in on Williams, man. I think we're going to have Williams on some teams. I I want I want you dear listener to have some Javante Williams in your life this spring or this fall, I guess. 
I think Josh Norris uh, at the beginning of when we relaunched the podcast in this new format, I had him on Smart as a guest, guy. and he he said it really well. Like Javante is pretty much like you might take a small loss with him, but not a huge loss at his ADP. But you have a huge, massive gain potential at his ADP. It's coming. So I, I, it is coming yeah. for Javante Williams. You might be a year early on it, and it might drive you crazy if you take him proactively yeah. this year. And next year is the year where it really sung, but. Man, he's, it's he's, and, he's I, and I get it. Look, he didn't play full time at UNC, but that's partially because Michael Carter's a good player, too. Yep. Yep. Michael Carter's out there, like taking snaps away from Brees Hall this year. Um, last thing on the Cowboys here before we wrap it up, we talked about all the main mainline players and, and it is kind of a top heavy roster. Any interest in any kind of like sleepers here co- update on the receiver core, Jalen Tolbert, who's like a prospect I like. People were acting as if like he was going to walk into the number two receiver job on this team. He, I think, is going to kind of rotate in as the third receiver. Like Noah Brown seems like he's the he's going to be the Michael Gallup replacement at X receiver until Michael Gallup gets back. And and you, Scott, as a non-injury optimist, have to love like Michael Gallup laughing off the idea that he they asked him like you're going to be ready for week one, and he literally laughed like at the reporters like no, I'm not going to be ready for no week one. Um, he's another guy that might like they're not, Jerry says they're not putting him on the pup. Okay, that there he's the guy that I bet I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets IR'd after um roster cutdowns just to miss those three weeks. So any interest in Jalen Tol- I don't think we're drafting Noah Brown, who's like a blocker, but uh, Tolbert is a guy I took in the last round of this draft on Friday, but I might cut him for a kicker, but you know, before the season starts. I have a really easy answer for this. No, I'm not drafting <laughs> no. I don't have a sleeper on the Cowboys. And if I if you beat me with Jalen Tolbert, I can I can sleep at night. Well, that's all we're pretty much hoping for, listeners, is that you can listen to this podcast, you can play fantasy this year, and you can sleep at night. That's pretty much all we're looking for. So, during the day. During the day, if you're lucky enough to take naps, you know, you're a night watchman or something like that, you know, I'm fine with that too. Yeah, whatever you need to do, just get that rest in. Because, man, the season is coming. It's going to be a big year, man. 2022, it's going to be a fun football season. I can't wait for it to get rolling for now. That's going to do it for us. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, please check out all the great content by following at Yahoo Fantasy. Please leave us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to this on. If you don't like it, don't leave a review. Just just tweet at me privately about how much you hate me, and, and I'll live with that. Tomorrow. Yes, tweet, tweet at Matt. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow, Andy Barons and I will tell you how to avoid some common draft mistakes when you're forming your teams this year. Until then, we're out. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.